Okay, I'm excited to begin. We have uh, some, some big ideas today. Uh, big for me, anyway. So what I'd, like to, what I'd like to attempt to give over right now is, um, is basically a, a, a map of the cosmos uh, that, that's sort of very, very accessible. And, and you'll be able to see sort of like the, the wholeness, the wholeness of creation, if you will, in, in sort of like uh, sort of very basic, basic terms. And, um, and also, I'd like to uh, try to answer a question, uh, perhaps on a deeper level than maybe we've seen uh, up until now, which is, we know that every Jew is a letter in the Torah. So what does that mean exactly? How can we understand that in, its, in, in perhaps a fuller way? To be a letter in the Torah. Okay, so, so let's take a few steps back and, and take a look at this map. Now I'm, I'm learning from this, this first part. I'm learning from um, Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver uh, in the Or Torah, his parish to Milas Torah, uh, an incredible repository of... Uh, very, very deep thoughts that I really recommend uh, uh, any of you, all of you get. Um, but anyway, let's, uh, let's dive in. So, Rav Yitzhak Isaac says that basically, the way God runs the world really falls into two categories. There's the hidden aspects of how God runs the world, and the revealed aspects of how God runs the world. So, two major categories. Put another way, there's what we call Teva, which is the natural order of things. And then there's something called Lamalamina Teva, which is that which, which overrides the natural order of things, also known in common parlance as miracles, that which is above nature. And we know nothing is difficult for God, and nothing stops God from enacting His will if He wants to enact His will. In other words, when... One of the aspects of there being only one God, one power in the world is that anything God wants to do, there's no, there's no stopping Him. There's no, there's no uh, blocking Him doing what He wants to do. So, so again, we've got two main paths, the hidden and the revealed, which correlate with the natural order of things and the miraculous order of things. Now, all of this happens within the oneness of God. So, very interestingly, very strikingly, Rav Yitzhak Isaac gives us a, a visualization of this enormous concept. And that visualization, that map, if you will, is the letter Aleph. And um, I'm just going to grab a book here. If you, if, you, if you can put the letter Aleph in front of you during, during this, or, or just picture it, you'll, you'll have an easier time. So, if you look at the letter Aleph you'll see that it's really composed of three letters. You have, you have a Yud, the letter Yud, over here. Then you have the letter Yud down here. And then you have the letter Vav, which runs diagonally through them, connecting them. So you have the Yud above, you have the Yud below, and then you have a Vav, which connects them running diagonal through it. So you'll see now how that's actually a map of the entire world. It says, Rav Yitzhak Isaac, well, before we dive in, literally, 
you'll see why I mean literally in a moment. Let's, let's, let's figure out really what's going on first. We, we need a, a little bit of background before we see how relevant the, the, the letter Aleph is in terms of visualizing uh, the world as we know it. There's a very, very mysterious passage. In fact, uh, among the sages, it's considered one of the most mysterious passages in the entire Torah. And it's something that you've probably most likely seen and just read past because it's, it's somewhat incomprehensible. And it's right at the beginning of the Torah. And um, I'll read it for you. It's uh, chapter 1. It's right, right in the beginning. Verse 6. It's talking about this very mysterious day of creation, the second day of creation. A lot of times we talk about the first day of creation. You know, God created the heavens and the earth, right? But not a lot of press on the second day of creation. You know, what's going on there? So you'll see why people don't dwell a lot on it, because there are three psukim, three verses, and it's like, huh? And then you just keep on reading on. Okay, so let's, let's take a look at those three verses right now. I'll read in English. God said, let there be a firmament. In Hebrew, the word is rakia, also known as sky. Okay? Let there be a a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it separate between water and water. So God made the firmament and separated between the waters, which were beneath the firmament and the waters, which were above the firmament. Okay, so... And so it was. And God called the firmament heaven. And there was evening and there was morning a second day. This is, um, conversationally, when people revert to these three verses, the way they sort of say it in shorthand, and it's a good sort of like summation of what we just read, is God separated between the upper waters and the lower waters. That's how it's usually said over. So what is this concept of the upper waters and the lower waters and that separation, and what does that have to do with us? Okay, so, so, so now we can revisit this notion of the letter Aleph as a map of creation. Again, we've got the Yud on top, and then we've got a Yud below, and we've got that Vav, which runs diagonally through, connecting the two of them. So, says Rav Yitzhak Isaac, the upper Yud stands for the upper waters. The lower Yud stands for the lower waters. And the Vav that goes between them is the Rakia, or the sky. Let's, let's go further into what he's saying over here. The upper waters, this is that aspect of creation of the way God runs the world that we call Lamala Minateva. The upper waters, that which is above the sky, above the firmament, above the rakia, that is the miraculous nature of things. That's the mazel, the realm of Yisrael, of the Jewish people who we say are above mazel. That's the realm of the upper waters. Then we have the lower waters. That's Teva, that's nature, that's this world. That's what we exist in, the lower waters. Then you have the Vav that connects the two of them, that that separates the two of them. And that's the Rakia, that's the sky. Now, you see 
many, many amazing things from this. One of the things that you see is, and you know something, we're so, uh, I think we're so conditioned to just re- reading the first, uh, the, the, the first Pasuk, the first uh, verse of the Torah, that maybe we never really thought of how striking and strange uh, a particular detail is in it. Let me, let me say it over for you. Breshis bara elokim es hashemayim ve'es ha'aretz. What does that mean? Uh, that God created, or in God's creating, however it's translated, the, the heavens, the shemayim, and the earth. The heavens and the earth. Well, wait a second. Let's think about that for a moment. The sages sort of said, wait, stop right there. Let's look a little further into that. God created the heavens before He created the earth. So, the sages say, look how different God is from, a, from a, a mortal, someone born of flesh and blood. When we build a house, do we build the roof first? Whoever heard of that? You build the roof before you... You build the roof second. You build the roof last. What did God do? He, he made the heavens... He made the roof before he made the bottom. Very, very interesting, right? How many times did we read over God made the heavens and the earth? No, he, they take it very seriously. First he made the heavens, then he made the earth. Well, that's already something very supernatural, even within this natural order. Not only that, not only that, and this is me talking right now. But you see something very interesting. It says that when he separated the waters, so what did we just say? That the initial waters were heaven. In fact, Shamayim means there are the waters. Shamayim has the word water in it, Mayim. And the sages say that. So heaven, so to speak, is made out of water. In fact, Again, this is just a sort of a side observation, but it's sort of striking if we're saying that we're amidst the lower waters right now. Isn't it interesting that a human being is made out of something like, I don't know the statistic, but it's we're something like 80 or more percent, I don't know what it is exactly, but we're mostly water, which is sort of a, a, a curious thought. But anyway, what, 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 what strikes me is the fact that there were the upper waters and then God separated them and then, and then it's sort of like you've got the lower waters and the higher waters. But first he made heaven. So that means that earth is made out of heaven. Right? Because if he separated the lower waters, that means initially it was all one water and if he created heaven first, that means that water was, was Shammai. He didn't call it that yet. So that means earth is made out of heaven. That's kind of cool. Especially since the destiny of earth is to be become perfect. Earth is going to become perfect. And what's heaven if not perfect? So here you see that the raw materials, the raw materials of earth are perfection. And that's what we're doing right now. We're in the process of bringing about that perfection through Torah and mitzvahs. Bless you. So, that's not a small point that we're doing it through Torah and mitzvahs, and, and I'll show you why in a moment. Because the realm, remember, all over Torah, and Rav Yitzchak Isaac gives as a source for this, the Zohar, 
Water and Torah are compared with each other. Wherever you see water, think Torah. Okay? In fact, I'll tell you how far this goes. Rabbi Wolfson brings down that at the time of Noah, you know, how, how long was Moses on Mount Sinai for? 40 days. 40 days and 40 nights. Sound familiar? 40 days and 40 nights? At the time of Noah, during the great flood, that was a time when the Torah could have been and ought to have been revealed, but the people of the generation didn't merit it. So instead of Torah coming down for 40 days and 40 nights, water came down for 40 days and 40 nights. Torah and water. The upper waters and the lower waters. We're in, we're swimming in Torah, guys. Remember, keep in the back of your mind what this idea is, the notion that we're a letter in the Torah, that we're going to answer that on a deeper level. So just keep that in the back of your mind. So now listen to this. What did we say? The upper yud, the upper, the upper waters, which are this miraculous, lamalamina teva level, above nature, above mazel. And then the lower yud is connected by what? The letter vav. Okay. So now in, this, in the account of creation, on the sixth day, on the sixth day of creation, all of a sudden the, the Lushan, the, the language of the Torah changes. It goes from, uh, you know, um, like for instance, we just read about the second day, so I'll use that as an example. It says, And then it will go on. You know, there was, there was uh, night and there was day, you know, day two. Okay? And it, it, it continues on in that way. Vayer, Vayiboker, Yom Shlishi, Yom Revi'i, Yom Chamishi. And then all of a sudden on the sixth day, remember this Vav connecting the higher realms and the lower realms. This Vav, Vav is six in Gematria. All of a sudden on the sixth day, the language of the Torah very strikingly changes. No other day like this. It says, Vayer, Vayiboker, Yom Ha-shishi, the sixth day. Not day six, the sixth day. So the sages in the Gomorrah point out, why does it all of a sudden give this incredible reverence? It, it departs from the natural order of things when it talks about the sixth day. Because on the sixth day of Sivan, also known as Shvuas, the Torah was revealed to the world. In other words, this idea of the Vav is, represents the giving over the Torah. This vav, which is like a pipe, is the conduit from which the upper waters, the miraculous nature of things, flow down into the lower waters, this realm that we're in, and lifts everything up and transforms everything. So when we talk about God making earth out of heaven, and that the seeds of perfection are already here, and that we're in the process of transforming the earth, how do we do it? By drawing down with this vav, which is the giving of the Torah, the higher waters into this world. Through Torah and mitzvahs, we're drawing down the higher waters to below, bringing perfection to existence. Now, listen to how the two words... You know, we're talking about the higher waters and the lower waters, and originally they were all one, and then they become separated. 
Interestingly, you want to hear something very striking. The sages point out that all conflict, machlokas we say in Hebrew, all strife between people in existence has its source on this second day of creation. Because the upper waters and the lower waters were separated on this day, which suggests conflict, two camps. And in fact, Reb Coin points out that if you look at the psalm of the day for Monday, it's, 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 it's one of the psalms written by the sons of Korach. Korach was the great rabble-rouser, the great Baal-Machlochus, the great troublemaker. So interestingly, you know, you've got this summoning of a little taste of Korach every time Monday rolls around. Okay? Let's look at this word Mayim a little bit more closely. Mayim again means water. Mayim, I heard from Reb Shlomo, he points out something very interesting about the word Mayim. Any of you who know a little bit of uh, Hebrew grammar, or even if you don't, it's a pretty simple point. Mayim is plural. There's no singular version of the word water. It's inherently plural. Even a drop of water, you can keep on splitting it, and it will always be a drop of water. (laughs) Bless you. It just always, it's got this nature where it always clings together. And so, so I'd like to say that even, we said that even if the waters are split, the lower waters, which are made from the higher waters, that here you have the seeds of perfection, right? The idea of earth being made out of heaven. Because, because a little residue of the higher waters are still there. That attachment, that attachment to the upper realms is still there. And we all have that in us. That's the yearning, that's the natural yearning of the soul. That's why I'm so... It so frustrates me, and I don't want to use the word anger, but if I, if I, if I were, it wouldn't be inaccurate. When I see people who are so-called, quote-unquote, sophisticates, mocking spirituality and spiritual longing, and, and it's just, uh, it's so ridiculous to me, because we are literally built with a yearning for God. It's part of our existence. God made us that way intentionally so. And what is more natural than a child yearning to be with his parent? What is more normal than a created person yearning to be with the one who made him? It's normal. It's right. To to not be that way is wrong. I'm not making judgments, but I'm just talking about the natural flow of things. It's, It's proper. It's proper to yearn for the one above. It's proper for the lower waters to yearn for the upper waters because they're made out of the upper waters. This is what it means to have a soul, to have a piece of God within you. Yearns to be attached. Um, Let's look deeper into the word Mayim. Mayim has a very uh, amazing other attribute. Keep in mind also that Mayim, meaning water, also is Torah, as we've been saying. We've got an incredible link, as everyone knows. The, uh, the revealed Torah, or what we call the, uh, the Chumash, the, the five books, and the oral Torah, 
also known as the Talmud, right, which explains what the what the five books means, and was all given to Moshe. Both aspects were given to Moshe at Mount Sinai. Moshe was told, "Write this down," and other, and then God explained to him what it meant. But Moshe didn't write that down. God said, okay, so this is what that passage means. And all those explanation of the written word, that ultimately becomes the Talmud, or the Gomorrah, right? The other side becomes the five books. But it's all one. Now let's see how you see that in the word Mayim. Also the upper waters and the lower waters coming together. Let's see how you see it in the word Mayim. So there's a special form of gematria called Milui, where you look at the inside of a word, Okay? The inside letters of a word. So now look at this fascinating thing about Mayim. Remember we also said that you never see the word Mayim in the singular. It's always in the plural. Right? That's the oral law and the written law together. But now let's see it on an even deeper level. Mayim is spelled Mem Yud Mem. Okay? So now let's spell out each letter. Like how do you spell out the word Mem? Well, Mem is spelled out Mem Mem. Okay? How do you spell out the word Yud? The letter Yud. How, how would you spell the letter Yud? If you want to write Yud. So you write, it would be spelled Yud Vav Dalit. That spells Yud. Okay? So, and then the last letter is Mem. How do you spell Mem? Mem Mem. Now let's look at the inside. In other words, we, we, we push aside the first letter for a moment, and we're now just looking at the inner essence of the word. So we've got Mem, Vav and Dalid. Vav and Dalid, if you add those up together, Vav and Dalid is 6 and 4. That adds up to 10. That's a Yud. And the last letter is Mem. So in other words, the inner aspect of Mayim is Mayim. It spells out Mem, Yud, Mem. That's the inner aspect of Mayim is Mayim. So... The deeper you go into the Torah, what do you find? More Torah. <laughs> and you see here also, again, Mayim is Torah. So, so the, 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 the oneness of the oral law and the written law, together, each is inside the other. Okay. So, now, I want to go further and try to explain a Pasuk in the Torah, well, I'm giving over Rav Yitzhak Isaac's explanation, which comes to explain, now that you have sort of like a map, an overview of creation, this letter Aleph. And by the way, why, why the letter Aleph? What's so striking to me is, again, Aleph is one. It's the first letter of the, 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 the Lashon HaKodesh, the, 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 the Holy Tongue. And it's Gematria 1. So in other words, what we're, what we're talking about is what is going on within the oneness of God. Okay, this is a map within the oneness of God. And of course, there are aspects of God which are dimensions beyond, that we'll never know, we'll never be able to comprehend. But this is already talking about heaven and earth. So this is, that's a lot of real estate right there. So, you know, that's, that's plenty to work with. Um, so, so now listen to this. We've got the higher waters, which represent Torah, which represent above nature, which represent miracles, which represent the Jewish people. And then we have this Vav, 
which is this conduit which brings all of this, all of this down into this realm, into this world that we're in now. Okay? Now with that in mind, listen to this amazing explanation to what seems to be, well, it's a pretty cool sort of like incident in the Torah anyway, but now we're going to look at it in an entirely different level, which is the digging of wells that the Avos did, our holy forefathers did. All right? And how the priest team, those who oppose the Jewish people, try to stop this unfolding of the destiny of the perfection of the world. It says, Abraham digs wells, and then the Plish team come and plug up the wells. And then Yitzchak redigs the wells, and it says, calls on the name of God, Yudke Vavke. So, so now listen to how we can understand this in a much deeper way. When Avraham Avinu is digging wells, what is he doing? He's making a channel for the upper waters to come down into this world. And when the Plish team come, which is represented by the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, which comes to all of us, and it says it renews itself in strength every single day. When the Plish team come and plug up the wells, what are they trying to do? Cut off our connection to the higher waters. Cut off that light from above. Cut off our, the fullness of our, our understanding of God and how creation works and what our role in the world is. Remember, I heard from Reb Shlomo one time, he says, who are, the, who are the living people in this world and who are the dead people in this world? There's a you above and there's a you below. The people who are alive in this world are the ones who are connecting to the you above. Meaning that that higher aspect of yourself or that extension of yourself. Because remember, there are five parts to the soul. Three within you, two outside of you, the Chayin the Yechida, which are outside of you, which go all the way up to the Kisei covet. If you're connected to the highest aspects of yourself, that's the throne of glory, the top of heaven, basically. If you're connected to the highest aspects of yourself, you're alive in this world. If you're cut off from them, then you're dead even if you're walking around breathing. And conversely, if someone attaches themselves to God in a real way during their lifetime, even after they're dead, they're still alive. It says if you say over a teaching of someone who's gone, their lips move in the grave. It was pointed out to me one time, and it's, it's quite amazing. We never say... We always say, Rashi says, the Rambam says, where did you ever hear anyone say, Rashi said? He's still talking. He's still talking. The police didn't plug up the wells. They try to sever that connection. And what does Yitzchak do? He goes and he redigs the wells. He redigs the wells and he calls on the name of God. Why? Because the Yudke Vavke is represented by the higher waters. So when he redigs the wells, he's bringing out that miraculous light from above down into this world. 
And that's all of us. We're diggers of wells. And that's all the obstacles that we face. These are the police team coming to plug up our wells. This is our life in this world. You've got your shovel in hand. You've got two choices. You can either sit and drink coffee, (laughs) or you can dig. And when you dig, you don't just bring light to yourself, you bring light to the entire world. You know, we talked about it, the incredible aspect of of Torah and mitzvahs, that you can give uh, a coin or write a check in your room, and put it in your pushka, in your house, and you've literally affected the entire world. You're alone in your house. How did you do it? You did it because you dug open a well and you brought more light down into the world. You brought the upper waters down into the world. It affects the entire world. I mean, you can't imagine a more empowering thought than that. Whatever you're doing, you're affecting the entire world for the good. All right. So now, now I want to... I want to go a little bit further. David, yes. It doesn't say it was good, though. Yes, this is this is. Um, so you're pointing out something that's very striking about uh, the second day of creation. Every other day of creation, it says it was good, and on the next day, the third day, it says it was good twice. But here, it doesn't say it was good, and there are a lot of different explanations for that. One of the explanations we already touched on, which is the idea that strife was created that day. Another explanation is that, um, that God says something is good when it's completed. And you didn't have the completion of the lower waters until the third day. So, so you, have, you have different explanations. Also, Gehenna, it says, was created on that day. That separation... You know, it says, Gehenna is translated, it's not a, a, a very good translation, but it's translated as hell. Um, we'll use the word Gehenna because it's a different concept. In, in Torah, what you have is this escalating order, if you can picture this, going from below to above. You have earth, Gehenna, and then heaven. Or the Olam HaNeshamas, the world of souls. However you want to say it. And everyone passes through on the way from earth to heaven. Everyone passes through Gehenna. Some people spend, just zip through, the tzaddikim, the righteous ones, just zip through. Other people, it's more of an intensive, you know, dry cleaning process. You know, it's not, they're not doing it in three hours. They're doing, but from God, do you go through Gehenna as well? It's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to that. Um, so, so, one of the deeper explanations that I heard explaining Gehenna uh, is the following. That every single person is shown two movies. They're shown the movie of their life. And by the way, the Vilna Gon was using this language of being shown your life. We're using the word movie, but that's... He was talking about essentially movies a couple of hundred years ago, which is... Very striking. So you're shown, you're shown your life, and then you're shown a second movie. You're shown the life you could have led. And to the extent 
that those two things are consistent, that's heaven. To the extent that they're out of whack, that's how we would say conversationally, that's hell. So, the reason why I'm telling you that is it's another level and understand that notion of separation, which takes place on the second day. To the extent that you're inconsistent with this, with one's potential or what, what could have given, that you're separated from your own potential, that's hell. So it would make sense that hell is created on that day. Um, what does it mean to be a letter in the Torah? We know that there are 600,000 root Jewish souls that left Egypt. The way I understood this, because we know that there were a couple of million or more people who left Egypt at that time. So why 600,000? Where are we getting that number from? How are we to understand? Shouldn't it be, let's say it's 2 million. Should there be 2 million souls? What what do you mean 600,000? So the answer, as it was explained to me, is imagine a tree, and a tree has branches. So you have the root soul would be the trunk of the tree. And then there are other, there are, in other words, so there will be clusters of people in the world who all share the same root soul. So that's how you have 600,000 root souls. I'll tell you a story, a personal story. I was in uh, Israel and I was shooting a little viral film. I haven't posted it on the internet yet, but one of these days. It's my first uh, directoral uh, effort. Um, and it was really fun. I found this like awesome Breslover Chassid in, uh, in, uh, in Israel by the Kotel. And he was playing this techno Rebbe Nachman music, you know. And people couldn't be around him without like breaking out and dancing. So I was like, I got to shoot you. We'll, 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 we'll film something, you know. And wherever you go, everyone starts dancing, even out in the street. And so we did it. And it was like a really, it was really fun. And um, we bonded. You know, he's a guy with long payas, uh, probably in his early 20s. And just he was like shining, you know, really special guy. His name was Yosef. And uh, after the whole experience, we were saying goodbye to each other. And he looked at me and he says, I feel as though um, we have the same root neshama. We, we share the same root. And uh, I, I said to him just instinctively, I said, are you a levy? Because I'm a levy. And he said, uh, he said, yeah, I'm a levy. And then my next kind of uh, question was, my mother is the, the daughter of a Kohen. So my mother is a Bas Kohen. My father is a levy, my mother is a Bas Kohen. And I thought to myself, you know, we're sharing such a wonderful moment over here. I don't want to ask him if, he's, if his mother is a Bas Kohen. Because <laughs> he's not going to say yes, and then this wonderful moment will have, you know, been sort of uh, tainted. So, so I didn't say anything. And then he says to me, is your mother a Bas Kohen? <laughs> and I said, Yeah. And so, it was, it was a great moment. It was really a great moment. But anyway, so 600,000 600, root Jewish souls. And by the way, I'll tell you something very, very deep. Which is, if you do tshuva, if you connect yourself to God in a real way, in a real way, 
you uplift all of the root neshamas that you share the same branch with. In other words, there might be someone in Buenos Aires or Tokyo or Australia, who knows, some distant corner of the world, who's all of a sudden like turned on because you're turned on. Or maybe you're turned on because they were turned on. Who knows? But there's this, this, there's this concept that there's this like spiritual bond, telepathy or whatever it is, between these, th- these clusters of souls that share the same letter. So, so you've got 600,000 root souls. And you've got 600 letters in the Torah. Everyone is a letter in the Torah. Okay. So now let's get deeper into this concept of what this means. So up until now, before I was learning this and thinking about it, and this is me talking right now, I'm not quoting from Rav Yitzhak anymore. I'm just going to give you a way to visualize this. Um, I was thinking, okay, I've got before me a Torah scroll, and I'm one of the letters in the Torah scroll. So that's awesome. You know, I'm thinking about what letter am I, or what word I'm in, or something like that. And okay, that was about the extent of my... Deep thoughts on the subject, you know? But now, let's go 3D. <laughs> because, what did we just say? What have we been saying all along? Where do we exist? We exist in the realm of the lower waters right now. Our job is to dig wells and to bring the upper waters down into the lower waters. What did we say over and over again? Water is Torah. So we're swimming in Torah, quite literally right now. So what does it mean that you're a letter in the Torah, it's not that you're represented symbolically on some page, some, some piece of parchment somewhere. You're a walking around, living, walking letter in a sea of Torah. I'll put it another way. It says the Torah is black fire on white fire. This is the white fire, the fabric of reality around you. That's the white fire. You're the black fire amidst the black fire. The black fire amidst the white fire. We're letters. We're letters walking around, interacting with each other. So now, think about how much deeper that is. You see, you see, what does that mean practically? Okay, so that's like a far out, it's a far out thing to, to think about. But what does it mean? Because it's, the implications of it are even, are even cooler, really. If, you, if you're just a letter, on the, if you, a, a letter on the page of the Torah, that is, that is the uh, expression of God's will. Right? God is telling you in the Torah, don't steal, don't kidnap, don't have idols, that's, that's what it says. That's, that's God expressing His will. He's expressing His will on the, on the page. Okay? But now, think about how much deeper this is. You're a letter, but you're not just an expression of God's will. You are the enactor of God's will. It's a whole other dimension. You now are that letter in the realm of existence making sure that God's will is actually done and accomplished. You're a letter 
fighting for the fulfillment of the destiny of the letter. Is that word, lo, don't, or do, (laughs) is that word going to have success in this world? That's you. You're that letter. You're the expression of God, the enactor of God. You get to do that. So now, we know that the Torah is one long name of God. So if we just said that the higher waters, right, it says Yitzchak, hold on the name of God, the Yudke Vavke, hold on the name of God, that's the upper waters, bringing them down in this world. If the Torah is one long name of God, now let's take another look, let's revisit the subject of what Jewish unity means. That means that for you got to have all of the letters down below, all united, all working together in action, united, and then all of a sudden down below, we've spelled out and realized the Torah. So if you've got missing letters, if you've got missing people, if you've got letters that are just kind of sitting down and not in action, then the expression of the Torah, the enactment of the Torah the transformation of the lower waters into the higher waters hasn't taken place yet. Alright, let's get to work. 